Pope Francis tells Father Juan Rivas, take him to Father Amoreth for an exorcism. He, is, he has legions, he's possessed. These demons revealed, we are the four demons that governed and controlled Mexico before the apparition in 1531. We are the demons of bloodshed and human sacrifice. Now that the Mexican people have betrayed the woman up above, we are now on the throne again. Conversion stories, especially of those who have had abortions, are stunning. The story of Abby Johnson has gone around the world. And there are many people in her situation, but few that come all the way to not only conversion out of being pro-abortion or having had abortions, facing that horrific reality, but then also embracing the fullness of truth in the church. Well, we've got with us someone who has made that same journey. She had not one abortion, not two abortions, but three abortions, and came back from there, actually even went into homelessness, self-destruction, where she thought her life was going to end. Stay tuned for this interview on The John Henry Weston Show with Patricia Sandoval. Patricia, thanks so much for being with us. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for this invitation. Well, let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Your acquaintance was uh, made a long time ago. Uh, I think uh, our interview was nearly a decade ago on Shalom TV, on Truth and Lies, the show that I used to do over there. Um, it's good to see you again. Likewise. Thank you so much for all the work that you do at LifeSite, your staff. Um, I have a pro-life show in Spanish on EWTN, and you guys are our number one resource that we go to to give pro-life news around uh, Latin America. So thank you for all that you do. Praise God. Thank you. Your story has really rocked the world, but I think there's still a lot of people who don't know your story. So I want you to, if you can, give us a sort of nutshell of your story, because I want to tell people about your book, Transfigured. Because your book tells your whole story in, in great detail. And I think it's absolutely essential reading for people because it, it brings alive the not only the, the beauty of Christ and his forgiveness, but that it can come when people have gone to the lowest part. They've, gone, they've basically lost their lives. It's never too late to seek redemption and Christ is pursuing you. It's really a story about his greatness, like you mentioned, and his great mercy. Um, unfortunately, I never received any type of um, understanding of my faith when I was a child at home. Um, I didn't know what virtue was. I didn't know what the virtue of chastity was as a child. I didn't have that example. My parents never married through the church. So Planned Parenthood came to my school when I was in the sixth grade. And I say that I was a victim for the first time. Um, of the abortion industry when I was 12 years old, I believe that they stole and they robbed my innocence because back in 1992, when there was no technology, no you know internet, none of that, um, I, I had a pure mindset and they came in and they gave us this false education 
about safe sex, which does not exist. And I believe it was all a trap. Um, you know, Planned Parenthood, they need quotas. They need a certain amount of abortions um, per month because it's a blood money market. And I fell into that trap. You know, they, they told us it wasn't really a baby when a woman is pregnant until five months gestation. And they told us it was our body, our choice. If we ever found ourselves, you know, the, the young girls in an unwanted pregnancy. And that's exactly what happened to me on three occasions. I um, thought I was practicing safe sex and it failed um, all three times with birth control. Birth control, And um, I thought abortion was my liberation, was my way out. I thought um, abortion would uh, save me from having all my goals and dreams just, you know, dying. Um, I was one of those young girls that believed that uh, a baby destroyed your dreams, basically. Um, and, you know, when I was 12 years old, after that class, I declared myself pro-abortion. And uh, they lied to me at the abortion clinic on three occasions before my three abortions and never told me about post-abortion syndrome. They told me that the only symptoms I would have would be cramping and that's it. And I can, you know, go to work the next day. But I suffered mental, emotional damage. I suffered even physical damage from those three abortions. Even my boyfriend at the time was suffering post-abortion syndrome as well. And I was pretty much suicidal. And I uh, applied to work for Planned Parenthood after that, still being very pro-abortion, pro-choice. I actually uh, applied as a reception, but since I knew how to speak fluent Sp Spanish and English, they were so excited that I was post-abortive fluent. They actually gave me the job as a back office nurse with no credentials, illegal nurse. <laughs> and uh, that's where I saw the reality of, of abortion. That's where I faced my raw uh, reality that, that I was lied to. Um, they don't care about women. They don't care about the youth. And I had to assist the abortionist and be the abortionist's eyes because during those procedures, the abortionist cannot see what he is doing inside of the womb of that young girl or that woman. And I had to be the abortionist's eyes and look for the body parts of the babies. Um, and it was very horrific. Um, it was heartbreaking, especially seeing the expression on those babies' faces, uh, their mouth wide open because those babies were screaming. Those babies were crying, but they didn't have a voice. And then I obviously didn't know God. So got heavily involved with methamphetamine, drugs, homelessness, lost everything and my soul. I mean, I was lost. I was a dead woman walking. And it was thanks to my mother's prayers um, that somebody rescued me off the street. It was thanks to my mother being on her knees for three years that I'm alive today. It's one of those things that I think resonates with a lot of people today because in this day and age, the propensity of your own children despite your living faithfully, to leave the faith, to live lives that are apart from God, and sometimes very, very much apart from God, is very, very real. But that hope that you bring with your story of your mother's fervent prayers for you that resulted in such a miraculous rescue of you literally from the streets, from death's door, uh, is tr truly, truly incredible. Right. And then I healed. Thanks God to my mom. I, there was, you know, I knew that God forgave me, but I think a lot of women cannot forgive themselves, um, especially myself, because I saw where the unborn end up. They end up in a trash can, in a dumpster. I touched it with my hands. I smelt it. I saw it. I lived it. And I knew that my children ended up in a trash can. And it was during a retreat that I had a grace from God. I closed my eyes and I was praying and I actually saw my three aborted children, a little girl, a little boy and a little girl. And they yelled out, mother, we're in God's glory and we're praying for you. And I do believe John Henry with my whole heart 
that those aborted children, they pray for their parents to become saints. They pray for their parents' conversion. And I believe that that's what my children do still. Um, and that was the hope that I had during that retreat, um, that my children, maybe they're gone here on earth, but they are alive in heaven. And so um, I decided to, decided to defend life with all my heart, to repair. We it's, much, it's very important we do reparation, to repair the damage that I've done um, and you know to give my children honor. It is a beautiful thought to consider we're honoring the lives of so many aborted children, millions and millions and millions, even in the United States alone, uh, are probably over 70 million children aborted, U.S. citizens, U.S. Um, you know, children. Yes, I'm sure their blood does cry to heaven for vengeance, which, which the scriptures teach us because the blood of the innocent does that. But I think those children also are, are begging for our own fidelity. So we have sort of an army uh, of, of prayer warriors for us up there as well, especially for the pro-life movement, many of whom, like you, come from living the other side and, and know the horror of the other side and are basically trying to share the message of healing and of the true joy that comes from living a life for Christ in love with life and respecting his gift of life. The solution to end abortion is chastity. I mean, we can go out there and march for life. We can vote pro-life. Um, we can, you know, we can share pro-life info, but until our world heals this sexual disordered wound that we have, you know, those there, abortion will always exist. Abortion will always exist. So it's just, it's, I think that to end abortion, it starts at home. Um, parents are the first educators of their children and it really does start with the family. Um, so it's really important uh, that we show our children the virtue and the beauty of chastity. This will end abortion. Let's go into that a little bit because it's very rarely talked about that, that connection. What does chastity mean for you? And if you can tell us also with regard to what's going on in the world today, I mean, and television and uh, pornography that way, obviously, but then also dating and the whole thing about relationships and heading toward marriage, but not married yet, and, and so on and so forth. Right. I think the virtue that is forgotten is modesty and also chastity, but both of those virtues, you know, it's really hard for teens to be teens today. Like I had mentioned back in the nineties, we didn't have we didn't have internet. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have social media. And I feel that all day, every day, children are bombarded with sexual images, sexual messages on their computer, on their phones, on, you know, on the, on, on their television screens. And they're just in a constant battle with these lies, um, you know, and, and, and what they really need to, uh, to strengthen and to know, they need to know are these two virtues. And I feel that when virtue collapse, uh, it kind of goes into a domino effect. For instance, when modesty collapses, right? When a woman doesn't know um, how to behave uh, purely, how to dress in a pure way, well, then her chastity collapses. When your chastity collapses, well, that can end up in an unwanted pregnancy or a pregnancy in crisis, and then it can end up into an abortion. Um, they all go hand in hand. I feel that you can't be pro-life without being pro-chastity. You, you, they both go together. Um, there is a an interview that I read on Jason Everett. He is a chastity speaker. He's well known. And he said that when he was uh, praying in front of the abortion clinics and talking to these women, trying to convince them not to have an abortion, he had this feeling, this strange feeling like, why am I 10 years late? Why am I talking to this woman 
five minutes before her appointment. Why, why didn't I meet her maybe 10 years ago when she was in junior high or in high school, you know, and that, 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 that's what it is. It's, they go, they go hand in hand in order uh, to prevent, this is a prevention to prevent abortion. We must learn the value and the beauty of these two virtues, which is modesty and chastity. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. What would your description be, or how would you talk to a young woman today, young girl even, about modesty, what it means? It's probably the most hidden topic on earth. I don't know that many people talk about it at all um, or are willing to define it. What would you say to, to you know, a teen, 13, 14-year-old girl about modesty? No, I struggled with modesty in the past, and I think it's because you're looking for love in the in the wrong places and you're looking to to feel loved and desired um in 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 a way that's uh, not truth um i think it's they're seeking attention there's a big wound there um i would tell her that um in the eyes of god um what you know we we're created not to glorify the world not to um please the world but it's we're we're here to glorify god and to please our lord um and you know the exterior is just a reflection of your interior there's nothing more freeing i could tell you john henry um freeing like now that i live a modest more modest life that i'm teaching modesty to my 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 children there's nothing more freeing than knowing that i don't have to please anybody that the only um person uh that i need to please or is 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 god and you know i i always tell young girls that we're kind of like the monstrance that holds our lord in the blessed sacrament the monstrance holds a king and you know when we look at the monstrance they're gold and they're you know they're full of precious gems and they sparkle because it's worthy of holding a king and that's what we need to be our bodies are the temple of the holy spirit and we need to adorn the king that we have in our hearts with respect and with dignity just the way jesus gives women love respect and dignity he did it throughout the gospels we need to do the same for our king um and that's what modesty to me is is you know adorning our bodies that are temples of the holy spirit um you know, what is sacred needs to be veiled. And it's also, um, you know, adorn, adorning a king that is worthy to be represented in a pure way. That's probably one of the most powerful inducements to modesty I've ever heard in my life. Um, let me ask you also, Patricia. So there is a story that is known about in Mexico that really isn't known throughout the world. So in all the world today, we know about Mexico and this horrible incidence of drug cartels, the absolute violence, the kidnappings. It's made Mexico into a place that's really scary to think about going to even. Oh, yes, we can go to the nice resorts because they're heavily guarded and protected. But Mexico itself and, and, and the great, you know, coming across the border and all this, there's so much of this violence and seeming hell going on there. But few people know its connection to abortion. And it's such a fascinating story. I've heard you mentioned elsewhere. I'd love you to tell us the story. 
So Our Lady of Guadalupe, she is the Empress of the Americas. She is a patroness of the pro-life movement. She came to Mexico, to the Americas, to give a message of life when it, there was a culture of death. The Aztecs were you know, killing and they were offering um, basically unborn babies or babies that were born to their gods, especially, I, I, it's it's in a different dialect, I cannot pronounce it, but there was a, one certain god that they would offer basically fetuses to. And it was for the sun to come out, you know, for food to be provided and rain to come. And it was constant killing. I mean, per year, there was probably over 150,000 um, sac human sacrifices to this god um, in the area where Guadalupe appeared. Well, she came um, as a woman from heaven. She came pregnant to give you know, uh, a message of life to all the, the Aztecs. And I feel that it's a message, not just for Mexico, but for all of us. And there is a man that is possessed. He's currently possessed in the state of Michoacan, Mexico. In 2007, when Mexico uh, legalized abortion just in Mexico City, um, well, this miraculous light appeared in the womb of Our Lady of Guadalupe on the tomb of Juan Diego. That went viral. Um, but this man was so sorrowful for this legalization of abortion that he actually offered himself as a victim's soul. And then he found himself possessed a couple of days after that. Um, and he had gone to many exorcists in Mexico and nobody can deliver him. This priest, his name is Juan, uh, Father Juan Rivas. Uh, he currently lives in Cancun. He is from the Legionaries of Christ, takes Angel to the Vatican and is hoping that somehow Pope Francis can, I don't know, somehow deliver him. But Pope Francis uh, comes up to Angel and Angel was in his wheelchair, gives him a blessing and he start the demons start to manifest. Um, Pope Francis tells Father Juan Rivas, take him to Father Amoreth for an exorcism. He is he has legions, he's possessed. During the exorcism, there was three priests that spoke Spanish, two of them Mexican, one of them Argentinian, and Father Amoreth. But the demons started to speak in Italian. Father Amoreth commanded the demons to speak in Spanish, said, I command you in the name of Guadalupe to speak in Spanish so these priests can understand what you just what you just told me and they start screaming she's stomping on our on our head with her heel she's stomping us the lady above because they can't say mary um and there she's she's demanding us to speak these demons revealed we are the four demons that governed and controlled mexico before the apparition in 1531 we are the demons of bloodshed and human sacrifice now that the mexican people have betrayed, <laughs> gives me the chills, betrayed um, the woman up above. We are now the on the throne again. She is greatly offended and the Mexican people have pushed her aside, off her throne, and now we are ruling Mexico with violence and bloodshed. There, the lady up above is asking for three conditions um, from the Mexican people to end the bloodshed and the violence. The first one is that Mexico has to recognize publicly that abortion is a sin and it's a crime. So all the politicians, the president, everybody, all the Mexican nation needs to recognize publicly that abortion is a sin, condemn it, and that it's a crime. The second thing is that the president must consecrate Mexico to the two hearts. 
And the third thing that Mexican people, the Mexican people need to do is act of reparation and mortifications, especially the bishops and the priests and the cardinals for letting abortion come into the country. They, they basically didn't do anything to prevent it from coming. They kind of had their hands crossed. And these are the three conditions that the woman up above, basically related to Guadalupe, is asking of the Mexican people. And these demons said, if this does not happen, catastrophes will happen, earthquakes, and the violence will increase in more bloodshed. And they said, for every homis abortion that is performed in Mexico, there will be a homicide performed in the, in, in, the, in the same exact manner. So the way that abortion is performed in Mexico City is that these babies are basically cut into pieces after the abortion. They're thrown into black, like kind of like hefty bags, black bags, and then they're burned with acid. The cartel, when they, um, you know, when they uh, kidnap and they kill, that's exactly the way they kill their their victims is in pieces and black bags and and then thrown in acid as well. It's the same way. So the priests, when they went back to Mexico, um, they actually went over the numbers, and surprisingly, the numbers are actually exactly they match hand in hand. The number of abortions that are documented in Mexico, it's the same amount of homicides from the cartel that are documented. They go hand in hand. And this poor man uh, cannot be liberated until these three conditions are met. John Henry, we have done nothing that Our Lady has asked, as usual. I kind of feel like that's kind of, she you know she appears in all these different countries and in eras. And I feel like we, we don't listen to her. Um, Mexico just decriminal, decriminalized um, abortion throughout the whole country this past September, a big earthquake happened that same night when the Supreme Court approved this. Um, the president of Mexico, he is basically, he does witchcraft, he does Santeria. Um, every year on the, on the news, you can watch him consecrate Mexico to his gods and has not consecrated obviously uh, Mexico to the two hearts. And we haven't done enough reparation. I mean, we haven't done enough um, you know, mortifications. We are not on our knees. We're not doing um, acts of reparations like we should be asking Our Lady of Guadalupe to forgive us for what we've done. We 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 have failed her. And I feel that this message is not only for Mexico. She is the patroness of the Americas. I feel that this message is for all of us in the United States and Canada. Um, we need to do acts of reparation. And, it, you know, here in the United States, we've had so much gun violence and shootings and massacres in schools. I feel that the root of all this violence is the abortion that has been legal in our country for many decades. Now, St. Teresa of Calcutta came to the U.S., to warn us that the fruit of abortion is nuclear war. We seem to be even on the brink of that. Uh, we have a lot of reparations to do. Patricia, you, your story is so fascinating, uh, but I want you to tell people where they can learn more about you, where they can pick up your book. You can pick up my book on Amazon. It's called Transfigure or, or on the EWTN catalog website as well, queenofpeacemedia.com as well. And I have a, a website, patriciasandoval.com, and I have videos and you can find me on YouTube as well. What is your closing message for, uh, for America and for uh, the world with regard to the times we're living in and uh, this battle for life? I feel that we should not be fear. I feel that there's so many things that are going on in this upside down world 
And I feel that sometimes for people, it's convenient to be quiet um, and different. And I feel that we really, really need to take courage. We really need to speak because we have to remember that God will hold us accountable, obviously, for the sins that we've committed. And we know the sins that we commit, but he will hold us accountable for the omission of sins. Those are the ones that I'm scared of, John Henry, of the things that I did not do for God. And I feel that in these times where mothers and fathers, we have to remember that we've had here in the United States about 66 million abortions. 66 million women have had abortions, but 66 million men have also had abortions. We cannot be chicken Christians. We have to be faithful to God. We are called to be faithful. The result is up to him. The victories are ladies. The victory is Jesus. We are called to be faithful until the end. And we cannot be silent, indifferent, and we need to be bold, but we need not to fear. And that's my message. We do need to do acts of reparation. I've had three abortions. I worked behind the doors of Planned Parenthood, but we are all called. We are all called to do acts of reparation, um, to, you know, to, to ask God to forgive us for the world that we're living in. And so just wanting to encourage people to persevere and to not be scared. Trisha Sandoval, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. God bless everybody. God bless you and God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this video. And to see more like this, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. So check out our links in the description to read more, sign up for our newsletter, and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all of the latest life, family, and culture news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.